want to introduce a good friend. They've become friends. I've shared with you now since we came back from Germany about Greg and Marie Viola. Why don't you guys stand? So Marie, this is Greg's wife, Marie and Greg. And, uh, but he, uh, he was a driver for Arthur Burke. Remember, how many of you remember Arthur Burke? But he died when he's like a hundred years old or something. 102 years old, but he came to Moravian Falls many years ago. You were the driver. I don't remember, but you obviously had to have been. But I remember going to that meeting up on Apple Hill. But uh, they invited us and helped us come to Germany. And I'm telling you, there's a, I've been telling you a real move of God taking place. And it's been going on for over two years. And the way that I, I know it's a move of God, number one, is the changed lives, the testimonies. When we left... Your place, and we went over to Heronhood. We met some other people associated with their ministry, and they told us unbelievable testimonies of things that, are, that God has done in their lives, personal. And so that's the number one, to me, sign of revival. But also another is they're under great persecution now. You know, the media, even so-called Christian media in Germany is coming against them. To me, that's a mark of approval of the hand. You know, that's something you long for because it says rejoice when men say all kind of manner of evil. So that's a sign. So we're grateful for that. But would you welcome my friend Greg Viola? He's going to come and minister to us. Yeah, it's really good to be here. Um, this morning I was sharing my spiritual journey and um, what I was really showing you was what the Bible calls the ancient way. It's the way of the, of the cross, the inward cross. It's the way of humility, the Lamb of God. And what we see now is people, deep depression, completely healed. People that have no desire to live, completely changed. Um, marriage is totally healed. And on and on and on and on. All changed. But the secret is the ancient way. That's the secret. The ancient of days has an ancient way. And we got off that way. So let's look at a couple of scriptures. Because I want to talk to you about the Father tonight. The ancient of days. Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah chapter 6. And we're going to start reading with verse 16. Thus says the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths, where is the good way, and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. I've seen that happen. I've seen people see the fruit of um, my life, and then they want to know the way. I tell them the way. I say, no. They don't want the way, but they want the fruit. That's what they're saying. We want the fruit, but we don't want the way. <laughs> no, thank you. So, now Jeremiah 18. Jeremiah 18. Verse 14. Will man leave the snow of Lebanon, which comes from the rock of the field? Or shall the cold flowing waters that come from another place be forsaken? And the answer is absolutely not. Because my people have forgotten me, they have burned incense to vanity, and they have caused them to stumble in their ways from the ancient paths, to walk in paths in a way not cast up. They've caused my people to walk in another path. 
They got off the ancient path. Now what happens when you get off the ancient path? It's the next verse. Verse 16. To make their land desolate. Now that land could be your body, your soul, your soul. It could be your marriage, your family, your church, your city, or your nation. It's your land. And it, the land is meant to bear tremendous fruit. Jesus said in John 15, verse 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you, that you go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. That's our calling, to bear eternal fruit. But when you get off the ancient path, your land becomes desolate. Now this is what we see being changed all the time, everywhere. The land becomes fruitful. But what I never knew for about 38 years was that I was helping people to get back on the ancient path. I didn't know that until the Lord told me. And so my spiritual journey has been the Lord teaching me and teaching me and teaching me from the Bible on the ancient path. And I've seen the fruit. Now for many, many years I didn't see the fruit. I only saw it in myself, maybe my family, and a couple others. And that was God's Bible school. That's when I had to learn the ways of God. And then I knew I had a lot of books inside of me. And I said, I'm not going to write, Lord, until I'm living it. And then one day I heard the Lord say, now I want you to write. And that's when everything changed. That's when doors opened and just everything changed. I don't know how else to say it. But there's 10 books out there. They're all supernatural. And they bear tremendous fruit. But they come from reality. It's not teaching. Teaching in itself can be dangerous. Because knowledge puffs you up. Teaching in itself can feed your pride. Love will never be dangerous. The love of God always builds up. The love of God always changes. The love of God always transforms. But not teaching. It's really important that we have the manifestation of the truth. Now, the Lord taught me about the manifestation of the truth. And it's in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2. If you want the manifestation of the truth whenever you speak, the major key is that you can recommend you to every man's conscience in the sight of God. That's 2 Corinthians 4.2, and that's the secret. Can I recommend Greg Violi to every man's conscience? Yes, in the whole world. It's called a blameless ministry. Now, when you have a blameless ministry, what the devil will have to do, and he will, is to spread lies about you because he has to create something that does not exist. Now, we're supposed to have a blameless ministry. This is not an amazing outstanding thing. No, this should be the normal ministry for every minister of the gospel. Paul had a blameless ministry. We should have a blameless ministry. It's so simple. A blameless ministry comes when you make wrongs right. So if something's wrong, make it right. You stole, pay the money back. You hurt someone, ask them to forgive you. Make wrongs right. That's the gospel Jesus taught me 40 years ago. You deal with 
the sins, you deal with the problem, you humble yourself. That's all. That's the gospel that I was taught by Jesus. You confess your sins. You make wrongs right. And you will have a blameless ministry. And then you can recommend yourself to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And then you will have a strong manifestation of the truth when you speak the truth. It won't just be teaching. It won't just be teaching. It will be a manifestation of the truth. Jeremiah 18. So you make your land desolate when you get off the ancient path. Therefore, if you want fruitfulness, come back to the ancient path. Like God said in Jeremiah 6. Now remember, when you go, come on the ancient path, Jeremiah 6 said, it brings rest to your soul. There's the key. The ancient path brings rest to your soul. Now let me just quote for you, Matthew 11, verse uh, 29. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me that I am meek and lowly in my heart, and you will find rest for your soul. The ancient path is the yoke of humility. It's the heart of the Lamb. We were always supposed to walk humbly with our God. But man got off the ancient path and it went another way. And it's the way of pride. That was never supposed to be. One time I was in a hotel in California with, a, with Jesus. And I wrote a book. It's called Whose Image and who, which mind and whose image. It's out there. And it talks about the aspect of pride. Five I wills all spoken in the heart of Lucifer. That is the whole essence of pride. In Isaiah 14, I will ascend up. The first aspect of pride, I will of my own power, ability, climb up in life. Better house, bigger ministry, better, better and bigger of my own power, and I'll get to heaven of my own self. I will climb up. First aspect of pride. I'm quoting Isaiah 14, verse 12 to 14. I will ascend up. The second I will, I will exalt my throne above all the other stars. The stars are the angels. I will be number one. That's the second aspect of pride. I will be the best. Not, I will do the best. That's good to do the best. But if you have to be the best, now you might come in second place and go into discouragement and depression. Never should that be, because you did your best. But the second aspect of pride says, I will exalt my throne above all the other ones. That's, I will be the best. Now when a parent puts that into their child, they're creating discouragement and depression in that child. By all means, encourage your children to do the best, their best. But they do not have to be the best. The second aspect of pride, I will be the best. Well, I can tell you, you won't be. You won't be. There will be many areas where you won't be the best. And that's okay. But the second aspect of pride, I will be number one. Number three, Lucifer said, 
I, I will sit above the heights of the clouds. And then the other one, I will sit in the sides of the north. So one above the heights of the clouds, that's where you escape responsibility. God is all about down to earth. He is so real. He, he washes floors, clean toilets. He is down to earth. He's not above the heights of the clouds. That's pride. And then the other one, uh, besides escaping responsibility, um, sides of the north. Psalm 48 says that the sides of the north is the place of attention, elevation, that God puts some people. So when I have that aspect of pride working in me, I want the attention. So maybe I'm back here somewhere in the seats, and someone's preaching or singing up here, and I'm thinking in my heart, I could do better than that. That's that aspect of pride. Now the last one, I will be as the Most High God. Now it's funny how the Lord taught me that one. Get ready. He said, how do you feel when people don't think you're right? See, only God is never wrong. How do you feel when people don't think you're right? Don't you love it? How about if they don't even say you're wrong? What if they just look at you in a strange way like, don't you love it? That's number five. I will be as the most high God. Isn't that funny? Those, that's the whole nature of pride. Okay, now Philippians 2 says, let this mind be in you. That's plural. All of you, the body of Christ. Let this mind of Christ be in the body of Christ now on earth the way it was in Christ Jesus' body 2,000 years ago. And that word mind means heart, attitude. Now here's the amazing thing. When I was in that hotel room alone, the Lord showed me that he, Jesus, had five I wills. And they're all in the mind of Christ. That's what Philippians 2 is saying. Church, let this mind be in you now that was in Christ 2,000 years ago in his physical body. And you're going to have the same manifestation of Christ on earth in Moravian Falls now. Let this mind be in you. And there's five I wills. When the Holy Spirit shows it to you, you see them all. Now, first I will, Lucifer, I will ascend up. First I will, Jesus Christ, I will come down. Second I will, Lucifer, I will be number one. Second I will, Jesus Christ, I will be the least, I will be the last, I will be the servant of all. You know, I noticed, I learned something when I was with Arthur Burt for seven years. I was, my job was to serve, that's all. And I had to learn the hard way what the body of Christ and many of its leaders feel about servants. And it's not good. Now that, the thing that I had to, I had to work with was my hard attitude, that's all. I wasn't allowed to criticize them, but I did learn that the attitude for seven years, everywhere I went, quite a few places all over America with Arthur Burt, the attitude of Christians and leaders towards the, the servants and the least is very bad. But Jesus said, the least is the greatest, and the chief of all is the servant of all. So in the mind of Christ, 
It's the opposite of the five I wills of Lucifer. Exact opposite. I will send up, I will come down. I will be number one, I will be the last. I will escape responsibility above the heights of the clouds. I will take the responsibility for the whole world. I will be as the most high God. He was the most high God and he became less than nothing. And he took the outward form of a slave. No society in the whole world today looks in a good way at slaves. They're nothing. Jesus took the outward appearance of a slave. You, you will see in the mind of Christ in Philippians chapter 2 that those five I wills in the mind of Christ is the exact opposite of the five I wills of Lucifer and his pride. Now guess what? In the heart of every little child are the five I wills of Lucifer. But we as Christians, as a new humanity, a new creation, a new man, a new race, we are to let, not create it, not help it out, not try to produce it, no, let the mind of Christ be in us. And then he, by the Holy Spirit, will live the mind of Christ, the heart of the Lamb inside of us. That's the ancient way. That's the ancient way to walk in humility. There's hundreds of scriptures but it's hidden. It's hidden. God hides a lot of stuff, you know that? But he loves to reveal it also. That's the ancient way. So Jeremiah 18, verse 16. To make their land desolate and a perpetual hissing, everyone that passes by it will be astonished and shake their head. That's a Christian. That's a Christian marriage. That's a Christian church. That's a Christian family. That's a Christian nation. They're just astonished, shaking their head. That's because we got off the ancient way. If we just get back to the ancient way, everything would be restored. And that's what we've been saying now for quite a few years. But now I know why. I didn't know why until a couple of years ago when the Lord showed it to me. That what he's been teaching me when I said, Jesus, will you disciple me? It's the ancient path of humility. Proverbs fourteen twelve. Now this is important because when we talk about a father, you're going to see that the greatest wound in the world is connected to an earthly father. And the reason why is because that father was not walking the ancient path. Proverbs 14, verse 12. There is a way, I'll quote it for you. Proverbs 14, verse 12. There is a way that seems right for a man, but the end of that way are the ways of death. Now, you get that? It seems right, not wrong. You see why religion fits in real good there? 
because it seems right. I go to church every Sunday, and the devil tells me, oh, you're right. This is right. No, it's not right. Love is right. Love is right. The love of God is right. It's good to go to church. You should go to church and you should be changed every time. You should have more desire for love, more desire for holiness, more desire for Christ. Every time. Just by coming together with his body. It's a wonderful experience. It's a wonderful experience. To learn to be a disciple to become a vessel for the secret, the greatest mystery, the greatest secret in all the universe. It's been hidden in the bosom of the Father before creation. And you know, that's another thing. He wants you to live in His bosom. John 1.18 says, let's go there. <laughs> John 1.18 John 1.18, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is, He is, eternally present, is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared Him. There's a secret place called the bosom of the Father that God the Father wants you to live. In Christ. It's the bosom of the Father. And that's where you find the beauty of holiness. You know, my first book, The King's Holy Beauty, it's about the difference between holiness and the beauty hidden in the holiness of God. I've never heard anyone preach it ever, ever. One of the words for holiness is terrible. Think about what holiness does in the Bible. It can open the earth, swallow hundreds of people, including babies, and then shut the earth. That's holiness. One of the words for holiness is terrible. Holiness demands perfect obedience always. God told Moses, he said, my, I'm sending an angel. No, not my angel. He said an angel, just an angel. That's what he said. I'm sending an angel with you in Exodus 23. Beware of him. <laughs> Beware of him. My name is in him. He will not pardon your sin. Those are angels. Those are angels. They don't understand mercy. Not until the cross, not until Jesus came, did they get any kind of glimpse of what was really hidden in the bosom of the Father. They knew justice. They knew judgment over and over and over. Judgment, judgment, judgment. Holiness, holiness. So beware of him, Moses. He will not forgive you. <laughs> you better obey him. That's holiness. But hidden in the holiness of God is an extremely beautiful, incredibly gorgeous sight. And nothing in the universe can even compare to it. It's the beauty of holiness. 
when the Lord first started to show me that, that's when I started to get an extreme hatred for my pride. Until you see the beauty of holiness, deep down inside, you don't, you still kind of like your pride. It's not an extremely ugly, horrendous sight to you. But when you see the beauty of holiness, you see the heart of humility. You see the hidden depth of God's bosom. You see what is in his heart from the foundation of the world. You see humility like you could never imagine it. And when you see that, you're seeing what is most beautiful in the whole world. And then something changes immediately inside of you. But that's just the beginning. It's not the ending. But it's a big beginning to see the beauty hidden in the holiness of God. It's just mercy filled, filled with compassion. It's the heart of the Lamb. And I don't think, I could be wrong, but I don't think the angels had any understanding of that part of God until Calvary. I think they were on edge. Gabriel and Michael, swords in their hand, waiting for the master to say, come. And in one second they would destroy all of creation, humanity. The whole world would have been destroyed instantly by those angels. No one would have stood in their way. But they had to get the order. They had to get the command. And they, I don't think they knew what he was going to do. And they're watching and they're watching and they're watching. And he says, Father, forgive them! They don't know what they do. He commanded his Father to forgive us. I think maybe that was the first time they saw what was hidden in the bosom of the Father's heart. That's the beauty of holiness. And Jesus said, the least is the greatest. The, the servant of all is the chief of all. It's all in the Bible. Believe me, it's all there. It's all there. But the Holy Spirit has to show it to us. Okay. What we see over and over is this healing that, that takes place especially when we start to give a father's blessing and a mother's blessing. Many people need both. But when we start to release these blessings one-on-one, -on -one, that's, I, I that's the way we do it, one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, if I have to, I do it corporately, but it's not quite the same. And another thing is, I like to have a whole seminar before I start giving a father's blessing because in three days you will learn and learn and learn and then pain will start to surface. Buried, hidden pain. There's two kinds of people that I pray for. I pray for well over 10,000 people about the father's blessing. But there's two kinds. One are the ones ready to let the pain come out. And they're radically changed. The other ones, they're not. Not yet. Like some... I have water. Thank you. 
the the other one um they they uh they have buried the pain very very deep very deep and one way i know that they're in that category i start to talk to them and they'll go now that means a couple of things one is they have tons of buried pain because they're not even hearing what I'm saying, but yes sir, yes sir, yes sir, yes sir. And second, they never could say no their whole life. And they probably never one time said that wonderful word, no. You know, it's a wonderful word. It's not a negative word. It's not bad. And if you're, if you're someone that cannot and never has said no, well, then you don't know the real love of God. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Jesus could say no. This is another thing that I find all over the world. So many of God's children don't know the real, pure love of the Father. They have a human love and it's so nice. It's so nice. It would never say no. But it's not God's pure love. God's pure love would definitely say no. This is called the work of the enemy. This is the work of the deceiver. Make us feel like no is such a horrible word. No, it's, it's a very good word. No. So those people, I really, nothing really happens. Maybe a tiny little bit, but they're not ready yet. They're not in reality. They're not ready yet. They have lots of stuff buried inside of them. And sometimes I have to come back in about four years and give them another blessing, and then they're changed. The Lord will always, always meet us in reality. Because he is the spirit of reality. Thank you, Holy Spirit. So when we get back to the ancient path of humility, lowliness, we will start to find healing in every area. Out of humility comes this attitude of honor and blessing and appreciation. It's very special. But it comes out of humility. What comes out of pride is anger, reactions, frustration, criticism, jealousy, judgments. There's a way that seems right, but the end of that way are the ways of death. Jesus said, I am the way. And you know what? In John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He is the way to the Father. I think it was Derek Prince that said many years ago, the church is stuck in the way. Jesus. But the way is leading to a place called Father. I, I didn't finish reading 2 Corinthians 5 for those of you that were here this morning. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 5. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5. My friend surprised Satoli from South Africa. Whenever he's speaking, um, he says, Are we having fun? <laughs> I am having fun. <laughs> That's great. Second Corinthians 5. Um, he tells them, You're a brand new creation, verse 17. <coughs> uh, He's given us the ministry of reconciliation, verse 18, now verse 19, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and he hath committed to us the word of reconciliation. So several times in that one passage, 2 Corinthians 5, it talks about bringing people back, reconciling people to God, to himself. It's over and over and over. It's to a person. It's the Father. Bring people back. Not just get them to heaven. Bring them back to the Father. Now look at verse 20. This is incredible. Talking to new creation, brand new Christians, definitely Christians, saved, born again. Look at what he says in verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech, that means beg, you by us. We pray you, in Christ's place, be ye reconciled to God. Now, were they reconciled? Absolutely. <laughs> but what's he talking about? The Father. You could say this to most Christians today. Be ye reconciled to the Father. Well, why aren't we? Well, I know why I wasn't. Because that's not a wonderful word to a lot of people. Father. To a lot of people, it doesn't have a positive a connotation. I'm absolutely amazed at the people I pray with by the thousands all over the world. I, much of it is not trauma. I would have to say it's torture. Even if you come from a Christian family, even if you have a Christian pastor, father. I made one, one big mistake as a father. Now, when we had our firstborn about 37 years ago, I felt this extreme fear come over me. And it was, oh my God, this is a baby. It's not a toy. I can't put it down and say, okay, I don't want to mess with this. No, no, this is a baby. It's real life and it's mine and it's my responsibility. And I want to tell you, I started crying 37 some years ago. Because I suddenly realized I had all this responsibility given to me by God and I was not ready. I'm so glad I came to truth. God always meets us in truth. Always. That's why spiritual religion will always try to get you a little bit off of truth. I was in truth and I was crying. I said, oh God, you got to help me. And I meant it from my heart. 
And he did. He did. Tremendously. But I knew I could not be a father. I was not ready. Like I said this morning, Marie and I both come from extreme dysfunctional families. We didn't know what it meant to be a father. Hers was an alcoholic. Mine had to work two jobs because we were so poor. He had to keep the family fed. And my mom would always tell us uh, how our father cheated on her. She told all of the children that hundreds of times. And unfortunately, she never got that out, and so she died with horrible arthritis. I believe she loved Jesus, but she died with horrible arthritis. Now, a lot of arthritis has roots of bitterness. Father was that word I did not want to hear in, in reference to God. Remember, I shared it this morning. Daddy, God, I did not like that. <laughs> now I see it's so important. That's what Paul's saying. Be ye reconciled to God. Now they were reconciled theologically. He just told them. And they even had the ministry of reconciliation. But they had a great need, and that was for themselves to be reconciled to the Father. And the more we know the Father, the more we can live inside of his bosom and reveal his heart and bring people to him. They will want to be with the Father after they're with us. That's what he's doing at this hour. Not just healing the hearts. That's part. That's a good part. But he wants to do so much more than just heal my heart. He wants to let me live in his heart so I can release his heart to heal a lot of people, maybe millions. It's about living in his heart, not just being focused on your need for your healing. That's a good start, and we desperately need that. You know, one of the things the Lord did with me, he changed my voice. Some brother said to me today about, you know, my voice sounded soft. Was that you? Yeah. I said, yeah, about 20 years ago, I think. I can't remember when. The Lord changed my voice. Literally. Something else I used to have many, many years ago is a sting. Like a bee stinging you. Bing! It hurts. And I would be looking, and a lot of times I, the Lord would let me see demons in people. In church, on Sunday. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> Just like Jesus. He went from synagogue to synagogue, casting demons out, Mark says. Let's go to this church. Okay, all these demons, about 4,000. Okay, next church, all these demons. Okay, about 8,000. Okay, next church, all these demons. I mean, that's what the Bible says. It's in your Bible. It's still happening all the time. Okay, so I would see demons. And then, usually after I saw a demon, I would sting. And I'm thinking, okay, then the sermon's all over. I go home, and I go in my prayer closet, and I heard two voices. One was, well, you were fighting spiritual warfare. Well, I was looking at the demons. That's possible. Then another voice said. So the one was saying, yeah, sting them. 
And the other one said, One day, I stung them. And there's about 15 in the room. I think my house. And I stung them. And the Lord said, look at them quickly, everyone. And I looked at everyone, 15 of them. Do they all love you? Everyone, Lord. Do they all want to hear what you have to say? Everyone, Lord. Uh Uh-oh. That's when the Lord could show me, it's your rejection speaking. That rejection was speaking, especially when a demon would look at me like, shut up. Mocking spirit, scorn, criticism, shut up. That's what the demon would say in the, in the eyes of, of the people. And then rejection would say, yeah, that's right, you idiot, you stupid. You don't have to say, they don't want to hear what you have to say. And that was my battle. But when I saw it was my rejection, then I could deal with it. Then I could repent and then it just opened the big door for the Lord to take over. And I hardly ever, ever, ever sting. I can be loud, I can be hard, and usually it's when I'm dealing directly with demonic influences. But I love the people of God. I love them. I used to like being up high and back, you know, away from the people. I was a pastor. I know what they could do to pastors. Not now. I love being with my people. I miss them. Okay, we're in revival. <laughs> There's extreme pure love in our midst, and we have extreme crying and love and love and more crying and more love beyond anything you can imagine on a regular basis. Yeah, that helps. It's amazing. And the Lord's breaking down all these walls. Young people loving old people. Old people loving young people. White people loving black people. Men loving women. Women loving men. I mean, broke, broke, break, 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 break. No walls, no walls. Just Jesus. That's what God's love will do. Wherever God's pure love is allowed to enter, that's what will happen. The judgments will go. The mercy will come. The judgments will be destroyed. The blessing will come. The honor will be filling the whole atmosphere. Honor is the atmosphere of heaven. Many, many people that come into our church, they feel special. That's because it's honor. The atmosphere is charged with honor. It's the culture of heaven. And when you come into honor, you feel special. And that's why when I'm trying to find out if someone needs a father's blessing, I will say one question. When you were about this big, five, six, seven years old, and you were real close to your father, how did you feel? That question will tell me everything. But the problem is almost no one gives the right answer. He loved me. Did I ask you if he loved you? No. I asked one thing only, how did you feel in his presence? And you'd be amazed. That's why tonight if I pray for 30 people, it could take six hours for 30 people. I don't know how to do that, but Dennis is going to help. He knows how to give a Father's blessing. But I don't pray two-minute prayers. Usually it takes me five minutes to help them come to truth. 
one time, well, not one time, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. But one example is when I was in London and I was praying for this lady. I said, what was it like with your father? She said, good. The Holy Spirit said, no. I always hear that. He always says no. It's hardly ever good. Can I be real honest with you? If you had a really, really good relationship with your father, you're one in a million. And you have a lot to be thankful for. You have a lot to be thankful for. So this lady, like thousands of others that I prayed with, the Holy Spirit said, nope. So I asked some more questions and some more questions. And finally, the truth started to come out. And then I said, okay, can I stand in your father's place and give you a father's blessing? She said, yep. I said, for your father, I just want to ask you, will you forgive me? Immediately, a demonic presence came. Immediately, that presence manifested. And she was paralyzed. And I said, mm-hmm. See, that's why the demons want you to, to lie and to believe a lie. Don't say nothing negative. That's dishonor. Okay, now, would someone show that to me in the Bible, please? Now, you can't because it's not in there. Truth and honor always go together. Now, I've dealt with this thousands and thousands and thousands of times all over the world. You must come to truth. This is not dishonor. I've talked with all kinds of people. Well, this is one story. I've got thousands just like it. So, London, I'm talking to her, and I start to say, will you forgive me? And immediately the demons manifested. See, they know that if you've got a good father, and he really wasn't good, then you're in an imaginary world. So now here you are in Disneyland. It's wonderful. Isn't Disneyland wonderful? You go, no, Disneyland is wonderful. It is. You go there for one day, they get millions of dollars, and you're happy for one day. That's Disneyland. And that's exactly what I have seen happen to thousands and thousands and thousands of Christians. They're in a Disneyland world where they have a good father. He's good. Now, the problem with that is he's not real. He's Mickey Mouse. He's Minnie Mouse. He's not real. And the demons know it. And the demons know it. And that means the real one is still in that person's life. And usually, usually, the real one is not a good father. Usually, that person has bitterness towards the real one, hatred towards the real one, judgments towards the real one, and a lot of legal ground for the kingdom of darkness. I've seen it thousands of times. It helps to come to truth. It is not dishonor. So she's paralyzed. The demons are everywhere, all over her, because I'm trying to bring her into forgiveness. And remember what Jesus said in Matthew 18? If you don't forgive your brother, which includes your father, from your heart, then your father in heaven delivers you to the tormentors. I've seen it thousands and thousands and thousands of times. Who do you think the tormentors are? Yeah, and I've seen them come out thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of times in seconds. Seconds, not minutes, seconds. When we come to truth, 
So back to this one story out of thousands. She's paralyzed, demons are manifesting, it's a strong demonic presence, and then she starts to speak truth about her real father. I hate you! I hate you! I hate you! And then she starts to hit me and pound my chest and pound my chest. Now that was her good father, remember, remember, that was her good father. She hated her father. And then she started to say, because what you did to my mother, it's always like that, always. The demons are liars. And when you come to truth about your parents, that is not dishonor. That's truth. It's a very important component of freedom and healing. The demons have lied to us and they say, you can't go there. You will dishonor your parents. That's a lie from hell. They know if you don't go there, then you will be living in an imaginary world with an imaginary parent. And in the real world, there's going to be a lot of demonic ground, there's going to be a lot of hurt, there's going to be a lot of pain, and a lot of bitterness and judgments. And judgments will cause us to do the exact same thing that they did. Now here's the good news. That lady, like thousands and thousands and thousands of others, was totally changed that day. It could have been a lot faster if she was able to come to truth. It's usually about 10 minutes, and that person's radically changed. And I hear all the time people say, when you said that prayer over me three years ago, something changed. My life was different. I've heard that over and over and over. <coughs> Are we together? You understand? It's wonderful what God does when the pain can be released. And then here's something I really like. That horrible father, and a lot of them are pretty bad. That really horrible father, now that woman can actually love the real horrible father. I like that. She doesn't have to avoid who he is or who he was. She can look at him with the eyes of love. I've seen that over and over again. God's love is increasing and increasing and increasing. They get healing. Their parents get loved. And, and then it gets better and better and better. It's amazing. And when you see it thousands and thousands of times all over the world, it's amazing. And remember, this is a man that did not like that word daddy in reference to God. <laughs> you know, the Lord loves to use people. This is my spiritual journey. You've got to see this. 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1. Verse 27. 1 Corinthians 1.27 But God has chosen. That word chosen means to select out of a group. God is selecting out of the group of humanity four kinds of people. The foolish. The first kind, foolish. That means not too smart. Foolish. 
God is selecting out of humanity the foolish to confound the wise. Second group, God is choosing out of humanity the weak to confound the strong and the mighty. Verse 28, and the base things, the third group, the lowly base things, the things that the world looks down at. And the fourth group, and the things which are despised. Those are the four groups. Now who would pick them on their team? Satan is always looking for the four opposites. The smart, the strong, the esteemed, the wonderful, the amazing. God's just the opposite. And then he tells you why. Verse 28. God has chosen, yea, and the things which are not nothing, to bring to nothing the things that are. That's pride. When you see pride from the eyes of God, this Bible makes perfect sense. This is pride. God is bringing, taking the nobodies to do away with the somebodies. That's what it says. See, Moses thought they would have known that God was going to use him. His hand was going to deliver them. I read that this morning, but I didn't go beyond that. I could have for hours. That was his problem. And so what had to happen to Moses? He could not speak. Who took away his ability to speak? Because he was the best. I think it was God. Who gave Paul the thorn in the flesh? You bet it was the Lord. Because twice in one verse it says, to keep him from exalting himself. Now, if that's the devil, if the devil, if your devil wants to keep you from exalting yourself, well, throw out your Bible. What nonsense. No. We got to come back to the pure word. We have to. A thorn in the flesh was given to me to keep me from exalting myself. I could show you hundreds of places in the Bible. The devil is yearning for you and me to exalt ourselves. He wants it extremely because he knows it's over. If we don't repent and humble, it's over. That thorn in the flesh was used for a good purpose. I don't know what it was. It doesn't matter. What doesn't matter? Why does matter? Why? Because he had to keep him from exalting himself. What doesn't matter? Well, God would have said something. That was his problem, Moses. He, he, he thought they would have known that he, God, was going to use his hand, his hand, to deliver them. Now this is, this is the key for this age, this, this hour. Here's the key. It's called the glory of God. It's the glory of God. It can't be your hand. It's got to be him. It's got to be him. No flesh will glory in his presence. That's verse 29. Look at Romans 11. Romans 11. Verse 36. 
verse 36. Verse 35, sorry. Romans 11, verse 35. Who has first given to him that it shall be paid back to him again? Who first gives to God? Nobody. Nobody. That's verse 36. For of him and through him and to him are all things. In other words, nobody first gives to God. Why? Because he gets all the glory. He gets all the glory. Who has first given to God that it should be paid back, that God would have to owe him? Nobody. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory now and forever. That's the circle of the divine glory that God will never let anyone break. That circle will never, 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 never be broken of him and through him and to him. Of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be the glory. That's called the circle of divine glory. We must know that. No one first gives to God. And then the next verse, Romans 12 Verse 1, therefore, brethren, therefore, and this is what the Father wants at this hour, therefore, brethren, he uses the plural over and over and over, and then singular. Let's read verse 1. I'm in Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, since of him, through him, to him are all things, and he gets all the glory, therefore, I beg you, Beseech means to beg. I beg you. That's plural. That means I beg all of you. Plural, plural, plural. I beseech all of you, brethren, plural, by the mercies of God, that ye, plural, present your bodies, plural, a living sacrifice, singular. What is the Father wanting? He's wanting a people to come together all of them together as one living sacrifice. And when that happens, see, you're out. You're out of the way now. You don't see yourself. You see his body. And when we come together as one living sacrifice, guess what he's going to send? It's the greatest fire you could ever imagine. It's the fire of God. And that fire is going to fall on that sacrifice. And then that body is going to be a consuming, blazing furnace. This is the word of God. This is exactly how Jesus has taught me. It's exactly what it says. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, since of him, through him, and to him are all things, to whom be the glory, now and forever. And now I beg you, I beseech you, plural, brethren, plural, by the mercies of God, that you, that means you all, plural, present your bodies, plural, four plurals, one singular, a living sacrifice. That's what the Lord's waiting for now. He's waiting for one body that will be a living sacrifice. And the way that will happen, 
Jesus prayed in John 17, Father, that they might be one. Not two, not five, not a hundred, not a thousand. No, just one. That's not unity. Unity can be good unless you're united with Adolf Hitler. Unity can be good. But in John 17, Jesus was not praying for unity. He was praying that the whole body would become one person. And when that happens, that they are one, now Christ will manifest as all. Otherwise, it's wonderful theology. Colossians 3.11. Christ is all and in all. Hallelujah! It's wonderful theology. But when the body answers the prayer of Jesus, now it will manifest that Christ is all. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, since the glory is all his, come together as a living sacrifice. Wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And then verse 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be ye, that's in the plural, be ye transfigured. It's the word for transfigured. Be ye transfigured. The word transfigured, you know, is when the butterfly, um, caterpillar becomes a butterfly. You actually go from one form to another. Be ye transfigured by the renewing of your mind. Does that sound like the mind of Christ? Yes. It's not Bible memorization. It's the mind of Christ. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transfigured by the renewing of your mind. That ye, that's plural, that's all of you, plural. Ye might prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of the Father God. When the Father has a body that sees themselves as one body, just one, they're just a part of the whole. I might be a tiny, tiny, tiny little piece of skin on my little finger. That's all. It doesn't matter. No, I'm, I'm probably a mouth because I talk all the time. We, we just do our part. We come together as one body. And then God's going to send the greatest fire you could ever imagine. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Um, back to the Father now. Jesus answered them and he said, This is how you pray, our Father who art in heaven. You pray to your Father. You pray to your Father. There's a very special place for humanity. You know, when I start to study the universe, you, it blows my mind. Your mind can't handle it. Like this earth can fit inside of the sun, almost one million times. And there are millions of suns bigger than that one. Millions. 
the galaxies is so big, basically you can't even see the planet called Earth. It's so small. It's just a dot of a dot, that's all. There are planets so far away that the light from the crucifixion hasn't yet reached them in 2,000 years. That's traveling at the speed of light. 186,000 miles a second, I believe. Pretty fast. This is such an enormous world that we live in. And how did it come to be? It was spoken. It was spoken into being. This God, in Isaiah 40, he says, all the nations are less than nothing. That's a scientific fact. All the nations less than nothing in his sight. But the good news is that this being, this one who you could only say the right name for him is I am. Because if you take him out of the equation, you no longer have an equation. I am. This one has a special love for a planet that's a speck called Earth. And this is really amazing. I don't know what to call us because the planet is only a speck. So I don't know, if, if we say speck, that's way too big. If I'm a speck, that's way too big because the whole planet is a speck. Okay, so whatever you want to call us. But we are greatly loved by this creator, this God. And he wants to be known as our father. Now that's... That's incredible. There's no way to comprehend that. And that's why Paul said in Ephesians 3 that you would know by experience the love of Christ. You know, I did not know until about two years ago that the love of God is substance. It is more substance than the water I'm drinking now. I didn't know that. I guess I gave it a spiritual connotation. And then when the Lord started teaching me, it's substance. Then I started to understand why so many lives are being changed when we give blessings and do simple little things that release God's substantial, pure love. It's so powerful. It has so much substance that if you are a vessel for pure love, just look at people. That's all. And your look will penetrate their innermost being and it will start to change something inside of them. That's the kind of substance I'm talking about. It's so powerful. It's so pure that just your look will change people. You will change atmospheres by walking into them. We are called to be a vessel for God, especially God the Father. Look at Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, verse 6. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and, and in you all. Do you know the Father's in you? Himself, the Father Himself is in you. 
When I first started to learn about this, I had no understanding until many years later, but I would look at my wife and suddenly she looked different. Suddenly she looked different. I mean, wow. And then I'd be disciplining one of my children and I was angry because of my rejection. So I'd be disciplining them and suddenly I felt compassion and mercy and kindness and love. And they looked totally different. And then it happened again, then again, then again, then again. Now I know what it was. It was the Father looking through my eyes. And now it keeps increasing, 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 increasing. Do you know the Father wants to look through your eyes? He wants you to see people the way He does. One time He showed me why He has so much compassion. Now, compassion comes from two words, suffer with. It means to suffer with. And the Lord is full of compassion. And that's why He always suffers with you. He's full of compassion. But he said, this is why he can have so much compassion. When we see someone, all we can see is what's happening now in them. So if they're drunk, we smell the beer, we smell the alcohol, we see the, the, um, the behavior. That's all we can see. When God looks at that drunk person, he sees what's happening now. And at the same moment, he sees all the abuse that went into their bloodline. Do you know it's a scientific fact you have at least 500 years of memory in every cell in your body? God sees all of that. He sees all the abuse, all the murder, all the horrible treatment, all the dishonor, and he sees all that that person that's now drunk went through themselves. Now just think if we could see all of that at the same moment that we saw that prostitute, that drunk, and on and on and on. How would we feel about them? We would feel compassion and love. The more we can live in the heart, the bosom of the Father, the more we're going to see those things. We're going to see pain. It's going to break our heart. Paul said in Philippians 1, I'm coming to you in the bowels of Jesus Christ. You see, that's what the Lord wants to do. A complete replacement where it's His inner affections. It's not you trying to feel love. No, it's His inner affection coming through your body. Those were the bowels of Jesus. It's the love of God. It's the holiness of God. It's the humility of God. It's Him. It's all Him. But we are blocking Him. Human goodness, religion, confidence in the flesh. I got to quote that scripture. I think I quoted this morning. Romans 7, 21. I find then a law, comma, that when I would do good, evil is present. Every time you would do good, it means from yourself. Every time you would do good. You activate the law of sin in your body. Oh, on the outside, it might look amazing. It might look amazing on the outside. How do you think the Pharisees looked on the outside? Amazing. I think they probably looked better than Yeshua. I mean, look at what Yeshua, Jesus said, and look at what they said. 
they would never say some of the things that Jesus said. Why? Because <laughs> they weren't real. Jesus is real. What the Lord wants to do is he wants Galatians 2.20 to become a living reality. It's no longer I, but Christ living in me. This is the hour. It's the love of God, not my love, his love. Love is patient. You don't ever have to try to be patient again, never. Love is patient. God does not want you to try to love either, ever. He is love. Just be a vessel. Don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You are not your own. Just give him his house. Let him use your hands. Let him look through your eyes. Let him speak through your mouth. Let him feel through your heart. Let him live in his house. We've been doing it the hard way. But Paul saw the mystery. He said a lot about the mystery. And that word mystery means a secret. It, it was only revealed to those who were initiated in that secret society. <laughs> It's the secret in the heart of God, and it's so, so special. It's his eternal son. He yearns to reveal. Paul said, it pleased the father to reveal his son in me. Instead of you trying to be like the son, let the son live in you. It becomes so much easier. You don't put all this pressure on yourself. And you don't condemn yourself for being such a bad person. And you don't exalt yourself for being such a good person. You're just a vessel for the living God himself. And that's when it starts getting real exciting. Just to be a vessel. I tell people, if you travel with me and you're bored, I will repent. I've never had to repent. When Jesus is allowed to live in us, and you know, what's the secret? One of the major secrets to Jesus living in his great power in us. Paul said it. Paul got this thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, given to him by someone to keep him down, to beat him up, to keep him from exalting himself. Okay, so that thorn felt horrible. So he says, Oh God! No answer. Lord! No answer. Lord! Okay. No. I'm quoting the Bible. How would you interpret? My grace is sufficient for you. Not as, yes. No. 2 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9. The third time, God said, oh, My grace is sufficient for you because my power, my strength, my power is made perfect in weakness. That thorn made him so weak. It made him so weak. I mean, come on, it's a thorn. 
He don't feel strong and mighty. King Uzziah was helped marvelously by God until he became strong. God would not help him when he became strong. It was over. And he died a horrible death. What does God need? He needs your weakness. He needs your weakness. That was Moses' problem. He was way too strong. Now when he's 80, oh, he wasn't strong. No. He lost all that. He couldn't even talk. Okay, now you're ready. Now you're ready. Oh, by the way, this is the whole Bible. I'm just quoting a couple places. I could go on for hours. And finally, Paul saw it. He didn't try to get rid of his weakness. He saw how important his weakness was. And then he says, I will rather glory in all my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can rest upon me. Is there anything greater than that? To have the power of the exalted, glorified, risen Lord resting, 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 constantly, constantly, constantly on you? Would you say a baptism in the Holy Spirit is more powerful than that? No way. This is constant. This is resting, abiding. And what's the secret? Rejoicing in all your weaknesses. But there's something the Lord has taught us about. And as far as I know, this is probably the only book in the world that talks about it, in the whole world. I've never heard anyone ever say it or ever write about it. It is called hatred for weakness. We see it everywhere we go. It's very strong in North Carolina, by the way. Very strong. Very strong in Georgia. Very strong in England. Very strong in Germany. Very strong in Russia. I've never been to a place where it wasn't very manifest. But in some places, it's much stronger than other places. It is hatred for weakness. And this is why so many people have been hurt severely by a father. Because that father had hatred for weakness. When I was preaching years ago in a church in the middle of nowhere in Georgia, I was talking about hatred for women. At that time, that's all I knew about. And I knew a lot. The Lord taught me a lot about hatred for women. So we're, I'm preaching. At the end of the message, I give an altar call. This whole side fills up with women that needed healing. This whole side fills up with men that needed deliverance. It's hatred for woman. And then one man was screaming, I hate woman, I hate woman, I hate woman! And he got free that night. The next morning, him and his wife is walking in Walmart. They had been married over 25 years. And they were holding hands, walking in Walmart. And she starts crying. And she said, I felt so covered for the first time. And I felt like I was on my honeymoon. He was delivered from hatred for, for woman. Years go by and the Lord says to me in Germany, hatred for woman is just a piece of the whole pie. The whole pie is called hatred for weakness. 
I've never heard anyone else mention it or write about it. You need to know about it. The Lord has taught and taught and taught and taught. When Marie and I go into a home, we'll probably know in five minutes if hatred for weakness is in that home. Psalm 18, verse 35, David said, Your gentleness has made me great. Your gentleness has made me great. When there's hatred for weakness, there's no gentleness. Sorry for taking so long. This is really my calling is to speak. It really is. I wasn't joking before. It's the ministry of the word. It's the ministry of the word. And I submit to, to my brother, if you want um, me to just stop, I, I'd be glad to stop. <laughs> okay. Um, I just want to read some things about hatred for weakness. When you grow up in that atmosphere, self-hatred, you will have self-hatred. You will hate yourself for being human. There will be standards placed on you that are not from God. There will be self-hatred. Now I'm talking about someone living in a home with hatred for weakness. Some of the signs of hatred for weakness is um, they are bothered by mistakes. They are bothered by mistakes. Because weak people make mistakes. Not strong ones. Secondly, they are bothered by tears. If you're bothered by tears and you don't know why, it's probably hatred for weakness. And another sign of hatred for weakness, especially if you're a man, you, you have un, probably have uncleanness and you probably are bound by things like pornography. Because hatred for weakness causes a person to look at a precious um, gift called a woman as an object. Those are some of the signs of hatred for weakness. There are many more. But if you grow up in a, in a home environment with hatred for weakness, there'll be self-hatred, there'll be fear. You know, if there's hatred for weakness, you want to make sure you do everything just right because that person, maybe it's the father, or in Germany it could be both the father and the mother, or the mother, especially Russia. But in America, it's more maybe a father. And if that father has hatred for weakness, you want to make sure everything's just right because he's going to get angry. And that's going to create tremendous fear. Tremendous fear. Physical sickness and infirmities, another result of hatred for weakness. We see this in certain places where there's a lot of crutches, there's lots of wheelchairs, that's almost always because that person is so uncovered in the spirit. So uncovered. Hatred for weakness. Deep sense of shame. You know, they've done like brain scans of shame and they could see the cells clustering and going off to the side. That's what somebody with shame does. They don't feel like they're ever apart, so they don't feel like they can fit in, so they just kind of go off by themselves. That's shame. These are things that's in a, that the person will receive just from being brought up in a home with hatred for weakness. 
bitterness. The next result of living under this hatred is to hold bitterness in your heart towards the person that's treating you this way. A lot of times when I pray with people and give them a Father's blessing, that's what's there. To, to the real Father, not to the one that they created. Unhealed issues, lots of unhealed issues. Because, you know, Jesus came, one of his main reasons that he came was to heal the broken hearts. And then to heal the bruise. And the word, bru and the word bruise means shattered. The Lord told me one time that the heart starts to um, crack the first time it experiences hatred. It could be in the mother's womb. It already starts to crack. Hatred was never supposed to be on this planet. You know that, right? Yep. It was never supposed to be on this planet. It's about love. So these are some of the signs. Let me just read the rest of them. This is when you live under hatred for weakness. Um, suicidal thoughts. Oh, I know more and more people. I remember one time a, a girl, 22 years old, very pretty, came with some friends to our church. And um, as I'm walking out, I see her and I heard those person say, speak a prayer over her. And I spoke a prayer. I said, can I pray for you? I'm walking out. Uh, a lot of times people talk to me, and it's so hard to get out. I have to push myself out. And so I'm walking out, and I stopped, and I said a prayer for her. And I said, please come back. I, I could see she had great needs. And some, like we see people completely healed of so many things, but not, not usually in, in a day. It could take a couple months but in that presence that's in our midst, I believe almost anything will be healed from anybody if they would just stay and be a part and accept and receive and don't judge. They would be healed. That's the kind of presence that's now in our midst for about two years. So I'm walking out and I said, please come back. Well, I found out that her, husband, her father did not want her to come to our church. That's a lot of parents forbid their children to come to our church. So this one had four daughters, and he wanted a boy. Now when a father wants a boy, and he only has girls, he has opened the door to spirits of suicide, abortion, and, and, and murder. Very serious. It's not just a, a little thing. No, it's a very, very, very big thing. And this girl... I found out, never want her picture taken. And I found out later that many people were begging her to come to our church. She killed herself. And I am absolutely certain that the main reason she killed herself was her father. This happens way too often. Suicidal thoughts. You see, it's the father's role to affirm the gender. I'm amazed now that I'm hearing about the laws trying to be set in motion that there is no gender. Huh. That is so demonic. It's like you don't even want to comment on such a demonic thing. There is only one gender, and it's what God has decided it to be. And it's the father's role to affirm the gender. Suicidal thoughts. 
disappointments. Now, when there, God made us with expectations, and if the expectations are not fulfilled, and there are great disappointments, then four things come into our soul. And we have seen this thousands of times all over the world. Grief, pain, sorrow, and death. Sometimes when I pray over disappointments, they are so changed in their face, I've even seen wrinkles disappear instantly. But they're so changed that the next day I can't recognize their face because they've been carrying disappointments for 30, 40 years. One time, oh, we're running out of time. Okay, depression, depression, a spirit of trauma, addictions. Addictions is another fruit of hatred for weakness. Why? Because many addictions have their root in not loving yourself. If you don't love yourself, then you can, you get chocolate. It gives you a certain hormone that makes you feel good about yourself. Pornography does the same thing. Alcohol does the same thing. Many addictions are rooted in self-hate. And so in that environment, there'll be a lot of self-hate. A bad self-image, covenants, ungodly soul ties. If you're a girl and your father doesn't touch you and embrace you and let you know how precious you are because you're his daughter, then you're going to want someone to touch you, especially a man. And so you get into a covenant through sex, an ungodly soul tie through sex. And if you're a boy and you're not affirmed by your father, you could easily go into a gang and you have ungodly soul ties with that gang, covenants with that gang, rejection, and you feel uncovered and unsafe. Those are some of the main uh, fruits of living in a hatred for weakness. Isaiah 32, verse 2. Isaiah 32, verse 2. This is God's purpose for all men. All men. Isaiah 32, verse 2. A man shall be a hiding place from the wind. Just the presence of a man who carries God inside of him shall be, just his presence, a hiding place from the wind. Now, the wind can blow dust in your eyes. It can cause irritation, infection. You could lose your eye. But a man shall be as a hiding place from the wind. Number two, uh, a shelter from the storm. You know, the enemy will come in like a flood of, on your family. He'll try to kill all of your children and your wife. But a man... Just his presence shall be a shelter from the storm. And the third blessing, rivers of water in a dry place. Refreshing. When that man carries the presence of God and you come into his presence, you start to feel refreshed. And lastly, the shadow of a great rock in a desert. I've been the Mojave Desert. And the heat is burning down, burning down, burning down. And you've got to come under some kind of shade. You have to come under some kind of shade. A man shall be all four of those blessings. Just his presence. Just his presence. That was God's original plan. And through Jesus, 
He is raising up men all over the world, and they are all four of those blessings. But, but, I kind of believe that most of their ancestors never fulfilled that purpose at all, and so they have to fight the battle of the blood. And they have to let the blood of Jesus take its place in them. There are a lot of forerunners that God is raising up today. And Isaiah 62 verse 10 tells us about the forerunners. Go through, go through the gates. Brothers and sisters, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church at this hour. You go through those gates of hell. And then it says, prepare the way, not for God, for the people. Those are forerunners. Those are forerunners. Isaiah 62, verse 10, prepare the way for the people. Then it says, cast up, cast up the highway. That's the ancient way. That's the ancient path. Remember, we read in Jeremiah, they went another way that wasn't cast up. That's the way of pride. Go back to the ancient path. And then it says, as you're casting up the ancient path, the highway, it removed the stones. Those stones are all those hard things inside of us. It's time for the heart of compassion and gentleness. The love of the Father. Get the stones out. And then it says, prepare the way again for the people. Those were the forerunners. Isaiah 62, verse 10. All over the world today, God is raising up forerunners. Because you see... Today, how many people can look at a Christian and say, that's how God meant it to be from the beginning of creation? How many people can look at a Christian marriage and say, that's how God intended it to be when he made Adam and Eve? How many people today can look at a Christian family and say, that's what family is all about? This is why the forerunners are so important today. The world is looking to see what it's supposed to look like. It's about the heart. It's about the heart. Pride has caused so much pain. It's hurt so many people. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Church, let the heart of humility consume you and then honor will become so real. You'll be looking at people and you say, boy, they look so good. I feel so much compassion. I feel so much love for them. That's the Father. One time Jesus said to me, I did not say love your neighbor as your neighbor. I said love your neighbor as yourself. When I love my neighbor as my neighbor, I make all kinds of judgments. I look at all the things that divide us and make us different. When I love my neighbor as myself, I look at him as I look at me. And he looks at me as he looks at him. The walls come down. It's really the time for the church of Jesus Christ to manifest Christ. 
but we're trying to do it from our own Adamic life. And we're manifesting sin, even though outwardly it looks like Christ, and that's our human goodness. But I'm seeing Christ more and more and more. And it's amazing what Christ is doing. I wish there was a lot more numbers. Oh yeah, they're, they're very small, but it's very pure, very powerful, and lives are being radically changed. And they will continue to be radically changed because it's the heart of God the Father. I'm going to close with one scripture. It's in Proverbs 17, verse 6. I have three diagrams in this book on finding Father for about, about this one scripture. If I would have had my, uh, some kind of internet or whatever, we would put it up there. But Proverbs 17, verse 6. Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children are their fathers. Children's children are the grandchildren. They, the grandchildren, are the crown of grandfathers. That's the original plan. That's the way it was always supposed to be. One time, um, Joseph brings his two sons to his father, their grandfather, and he says, who are these? Oh, these are my two sons. You know what that means? That means that they're his grandsons. And the first thing he says immediately, come bring them here, I want to bless them. I call that polishing his crown. I call that polishing his crown. The crown of grandfathers are the grandchildren. He was polishing his crown by blessing them. It's time to get back to God's plan, brothers and sisters. It's time to get back. And guess what? It's got to begin with the leaders. I believe men are leaders. Now, when men find out how I interpret that, they're not real happy, maybe, that I believe that. I am very hard on men. Very hard. With the love of God. Because I want to see the leaders arise. I want to see the leaders wash feet. I want to see the leaders walk, lay down their life. I want to see the leaders express gentleness to their children to make them all great. I want to see the leaders be the leaders. And Jesus said when he was washing their dirty feet, he said, you call me master and Lord, and you're right. Now, if I, your master and Lord, wash your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. These are leaders. It's the ancient path. It's humility. It's humility. It's real manhood. It's real manhood. One of the things they complained about me in Germany years ago is I'm taking away manhood. As we were watching men be restored in great stature and amazing manhood, then the devil comes with that lie. He's taken away their manhood. Yeah, they used to be abusive. They used to be horrible fathers, horrible husbands. Now they're doing amazing and wonderful. Yeah, I'm taking away their manhood. 
I'm taking away their Esauhood. Esauhood. You know Esau could be accepted in any church today. Not any church, most churches. He could be accepted today, Esau. What does God say about Esau? I hate Esau. Esau loved the world. Esau loved his food. He said, I'm hungry. You know, he was not saying he's going to die. What he was really saying was, the future generations don't mean nothing to me. One day I will die. Give me my stew. That's why God said he had such an evil heart. He did not care about all the future generations that he could have affected. That's what he was really saying. He wasn't saying, I'm going to die if I don't get the stew now. No, he wasn't saying that. He wasn't going to die. But he was saying that one day I will be gone. What do I care about that birthright? We can change generations. We can change nations because Christ lives in us. But the heart of Esau doesn't care. The heart of Esau, it will, it will die like Jehoram. Remember, King Jehoram this morning, he died, it says, and not one person was sad in the whole world when he died. I, wanna, I want a lot of people to cry when I'm gone. A lot of people. Now, I hope they get over it pretty quick. I want to make a difference. Don't you? It's the heart of the Lamb. It's the love of God that will make all the difference. So, the glory of children are their fathers. That's a real strong word, glory. I have some beautiful pictures. I wish I could show them to you, but... Um, Glory means beauty, splendor, and glory. It's glory as of rank, renown, an attribute of God, honor. Fathers are what children possess to show their splendor. Beauty, like a young girl who's wearing her shiny, beautiful jewels, and she's very proud of those beautiful, gorgeous jewels that she's wearing. Fathers are the glory of their children. If my father abused me, my glory abused me. If my father abandoned me, my glory abandoned me. If my father rejected me, my glory rejected me. This is very important. People are suffering. I believe the greatest wound is a father wound in the whole world. I don't think anything comes near a father wound. And a lot of people don't know they have it. They don't even know they have it. But they've been curing it for 45 years. It's a father wound. Then I have a picture of two girls. One has an old dilapidated dress. And her rag that she's carrying, she's, you can see she's very poor, very sickly, with sorrow and death all over her. Then the other girl, 
beautiful earrings, beautiful white dress. And then the picture says, which picture would best illustrate you in your childhood? Maybe you were dressed real, real good on the outside, but you felt like the other girl on the inside. The question has to do with how did you feel on the inside when you were growing up? Because if you carried your glory, and your glory was during the God-given job that God gave him, you would feel like that girl with that beautiful dress, earrings, You would feel like that girl with the dress and the earrings. So lastly, and then I'm done, what does the child's glory look like? That's the third picture. They feel special when they're with dad. They feel very important because dad is beside them. They feel dad can do anything. They feel no one is as strong and special as dad is. They feel safe with their dad. And they're not afraid when dad is near them. They know dad will not let them down because he's there to help them. They're coming into their personhood, learning to enjoy themselves as a boy or a girl. They will talk with dad when others' children say bad things about them. And lastly, they will be empowered by dad's blessings through his words, thoughts, prayers, actions, and special times of just going places with that special one, son or daughter. You know the Hebrew word for bless? It has two main meanings. It means to kneel. That's the posture of humility and gentleness. And it means to empower, to prosper. That word, bless, actually empowers you to prosper in every area of life. Another thing, if you've got a father's blessing, then you're much more capable of facing life as an adult. I've prayed with thousands of people now all over the world. They are fearful when they have to make a choice because they feel like a little child inside that is almost always a result of not getting your father's blessing. Because what they would do, the Jewish culture, they would do two main things. They would release a blessing to you, and they would also uh, release you into your adulthood. And you would be ready for adulthood. You would feel like you could handle life. One of the results of not getting a father's blessing is that you will feel when you have to make a decision, like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. That little child doesn't know how to make an adult decision. Okay, that's what's on my heart. Let's pray. Lord, I just commit everyone to you right now as we close the service and then have our times of prayer with anyone who wants prayer. Lord, we just invite your presence right now. We need you, Father. We need you, Father. It's your presence that will make the difference and nothing else. And I pray for those people here who want a Father's blessing, Lord.
that they will be able to face the pain, especially the pain that has been buried inside of them. Help them, Father, to invite you into that pain and not to hold it anymore. I just give it to you right now as we go into prayer. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you, Lord.